So we're continuing in this series through 1 John called That You May Know. And John's whole aim in this entire series, in this entire letter that he writes, is the main purpose is that he wants to give believers confidence in the face of fear, in the face of trial, in the face of false teaching, in the face of all of those things. He wants to give believers confidence because what we know is this, is that when believers have confidence, there's nothing that can stop them from following God's will. And so, uh, you know, John, just to remind you, was this older man, somewhere between 80 and 100 years old, writing this letter, kind of like a, with a, a, a fatherly kind of tender love to, uh, to the church. And he, he wants to give us that, that confidence and tender care of a father as he speaks to us. So I want you to hear God's word in that way today. Uh, not, 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 in this, not in this fashion that is uh, kind of berating, you know, the, the moments that we have fear and, uh, and, and really seeking, you know, to, to, to discipline us out of that, but really as, a, as what's best for us as the church. Um, so in order to do that, let's, let's start by thinking about this. I want you to think about some of the, your first experiences in life. Think about that. So I'll, I'll share a few to help, help get the wheels turning for you. Uh, I, want, uh, I think back to the first date that I ever had with Megan. Um, it, it, it did not go well. Um, you know, and, and if someone were to look at that first date at that Barnes & Noble in North Las Vegas, Nevada, they would say, this thing's done. You know, this ain't happening no more. But I'm so thankful that the first date didn't define our relationship. I think about the first time that I ever pitched in a baseball game. You know, I just, I had tons of walks. I got mashed all over the field. I mean, it was just like batting practice for the other team. But, you know, over time and practice and, and just putting in the work, uh, I turned out to be a decent pitcher. I, I think about the first time that I ever preached a sermon when I was, uh, I think I was 16. Um, it was atrocious. It was awful. The only redeeming grace of that sermon was that I read the Bible. And we know that God's word doesn't return void. So that was the only redeeming thing about that. I think back to our first child. We have four now. Our first one, when Tatum was born, um, you know, she, and it was a miracle that, that Tatum was born because Megan had just had a, a miscarriage, you know, 10 or 12 months before uh, and found out on our birthday. It was just this really awful time for us, uh, for our, our, our family and, and what we were going after. And uh, I'm, I'm handed this child in Greenwood, Indiana. And it's almost like this kind of like Lion King moment. Like, like what, what the doctor hands it to me, I'm like, what do I do with this? You know, like, like but, but, I'm, but I'm starting to think about, you know, our love has grown so fond over the years where we've even had these very deep and spiritual conversations now that she's 10 years old. And, and the reason why I share these things and, and kind of get you going down memory lane is because I'm so thankful that life in Jesus is about growing up and maturing. I'm, I'm so thankful that it's just not about the time you walk down the aisle or the, the time you sit on the, 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 the side of the bed with your parents or whatever it was for you, uh, but, but that Jesus is so committed to growing us through the things that we experience in life by his grace. And, and that's really what we get at uh, in 1 John chapter 4 today. So with that in mind, uh, what was the first human emotion after the fall in the garden? What was it? Think about it. As you think about it, I'm going to read it and you'll, you'll hear it. And they heard the sound, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife 
hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Like you can actually do that, right? And, and they, they hid among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. First human emotion after sin entered the world was fear. Not the kind of fear that we're going to talk about in a moment that is the fear of the Lord, but a fear really from the Lord. Like, like a, it was just this kind of, this unhelpful, ungodly fear that they had. And, and so the Lord goes on to say, I don't, it's not going to be on the screen, but who told you this? You know? And then he says, have you eaten of the tree? Ask him a couple of subsequent questions there. And that's, that, the reason I share this with you is because before the fall of man, this type of fear had no place in man's relationship with God. There was total confidence in who God was, what his word is, and how we relate to God. And, and the Holy Spirit wants to take us back on that trajectory, that type of confidence. Because if fear had no place in in, in the relationship with God and his people, ungodly fear, that is, why does it have such a place in the lives of redeemed Christians today, especially at this cultural moment, right? We're all being exposed, and we're all hiding between different kinds of fig leaves because of this season that we're in. It's revealing to us. And the answer is not this, which I, is what I try a lot of times. Just stop being afraid. My kids tell me, you know, I had a bad dream. I'm afraid. I want to sleep in your room. You're not my room. I'm like, just stop being afraid. That helps nothing to hear that, does it? It helps nothing at all. And that's not how God, that's not how God engages with us in our fear. That's not how John writes about how God engages with us in fear. And that, an unhealthy fear of in this life, an ungodly fear is a deeper indicator to us that God's love still has work to do in our hearts in completing and perfecting us. And it's ultimately so that we can have confidence today, tomorrow, and every day that we live until Jesus returns. So here's our big idea where we're going today. I'm just going to, I'm going to preach 1 John 4, 13 through 21, but really focus on verses, I think it's uh, 17 and 18. So here's our big idea. It's this, God's love grows us into fearless confidence for every judgment that we might face. Now, as we get into this, there's no such thing as a perfectly fearless Christian. Um, what we want to do today is we're asking God to better equip us for the fear that we have that's not the fear of the Lord. That's the, that's the, the fear of a, a pandemic. That's the, 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 the fear of you know, financial insecurity. All of the fears that are, that are creeping up in our lives right now, we, we want to grow in our ability to receive the love of God that cast out that fear. So that, that's kind of where we're going today. So let me read our text. It's 1 John chapter 4, 13 through 21, so you can kind of understand the whole context of, of where we're going. And then I've just got two points that I want to share with you this morning. Verse 13 says this, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He's made us one with him, in other words. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. He remains in him, and he in God. So we have come to know, listen to that language. It's, it's, a, it's a growing kind of language. We have come to know, it was a process, and to believe the love that God has for us. There's a process in place for Christians. We've got to come to know and, and come to believe the love that he has for us. He goes on to say, God is love, and whoever abides or remains in love abides or remains in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, made whole with us, so that we may have confidence, there's our word, for the day of judgment. Because as he is, as Jesus is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the, the two places we want to unpack this and just really get focused here is we want to address what is fear and where does it come from? What is fear and where does it come from? And then we want to address like, okay, how do we, how do we live in God's will in light of that? Uh, the second point is what is God's solution for fear-filled people? So let's look, let's look at this. What is fear and where does it come from? Um. <clears throat> Let's first look at godly fear. What is godly fear? The type of fear that the Bible commends and commands for Christians, all right? Godly fear, here's what it is, is a reverence for the Lord or an understanding of our position in light of who he is. And it, it, it means this, that his character, his identity, his commandments, and his ways are the ultimate rule of life. They are perfect. There is nothing wrong with them. And they're ultimately the source of our deepest satisfaction in life when we live in light of them the way God has designed for us to. So this is what perfectly existed in Genesis chapter 2. There was no doubt about what God commanded and, and how we're supposed to follow him. But, and this is why Adam and Eve could enjoy life in the garden. They could walk with him in the cool of day. They could commune with him. They, had, they didn't even know they were supposed to be afraid, Right? They didn't even know that nakedness was a problem or exposure was a problem or that there would be something that we might need to hide from God. And, and, and that's so important because Genesis 3 is so different, isn't it? And, and here's what we see about the, 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 the godly fear that God's called us to have. Our lives are defined by what we fear. And the only person worthy of defining our lives is the Lord Jesus. You, your life will revolve around what you fear. Your money will revolve around what you fear. Your calendar will reflect what you fear. You will worship what you fear or who you fear. Consider these passages that talk about this godly fear of the Lord. Psalm 128.1, blessed, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who 
walks in his ways. So it's just, you fear the Lord, your life is blessed. It is, it is marked with God's favor. Psalm 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord, the reverence of who he is, is the beginning of wisdom. It's where wisdom can start, is what he's saying. Wisdom cannot exist without fear of the Lord. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. So a lack of godly fear or trusting God at his word is what has led to the prospect of ungodly fear. In other words, what happened in Genesis, the design of God in Genesis 2 fell apart in Genesis 3, and we are living in the Genesis 3 narrative, and God is trying to take us back to Genesis 2. That's what the Spirit's role is doing in our life, living fully before God with confidence in our standing and our relationship with him. So, you know, this is what happens to me when I find myself in sin. I have believed something or someone over God and his word. So as, as I grow in love of God, I grow in fear, reverence, respect, and adoration of his heart and his ways expressed in his word. And what begins to happen, as John talks about this process, is that the ungodly fear starts to fade when the godly fear starts to swell in our hearts. So let's talk about ungodly fear here. This is what John is talking about. This is what John is trying by God's grace to help believers eradicate in their lives, although we'll never be able to perfectly do it, this side of heaven. Let me read just two verses, 1 John 4, 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world because of the spirit. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, it, it casts out fear. For fear, in light of judgment, has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So ungodly fear is the fear that showed up in Genesis 3, and it's, what it is is, it, is, it, is ultimately it, um, it's an uncertainty of our standing before God. It's a, it's a fear that's grounded in the possibility of punishment and wrath, not love and wholeness and shalom and relationship with God. So God has sent Jesus as love to the church, to love us in our unlovability and ultimately change us where we can once again relate to God the way that we were designed to relate to him, which is receiving and giving love. And this is why John gives those tests over and over again. If you don't love your brother, you have not received God's love. You have received some other false or fake love. Because the kind of love that God gives always goes out from our hearts. We talked about that last week. And God's love is, is, um, is rooting and casting this type of fear out. And this fear, here's what it looks like. It's, it is a fruitless, love-hindering, joy-extinguishing fear that leads to disharmony, disunity, and, um, and, and ultimately division in God's people who were designed to live in perfect wholeness with their Father in heaven. It doesn't start that way. It starts by a simple disobedience, a simple lack of trust, a simple fear in our minds, and it ultimately plays itself out in disunity, disharmony, fruitlessness, and a lack of joy in the lives of believers. <clears throat> so we've got to learn what to do with our misplaced fear. This is where John is leading us. 
Because when we have fear in the wrong things, here's what happens. We listen to, we learn from, and we ultimately obey what we fear the most. So I want to park here for a minute on this. You know, I haven't talked to one believer in the last four months in this church or, or outside of this church who hasn't indicated some type of apprehension about our current climate in this country and in this world. A, a, a fear. It, it may not be suffocating fear at this moment, but, it, but it's nevertheless a fear, an uncertainty, an apprehension about what God's up to in the middle of this. And so, so we all are dealing with this now. You know, it could be fear over the effects of the virus, fear over, a, a, you know, a, a fear over an overreaction to the effects of the virus or an underreaction to the effects of the virus. It could be fear over an overreaction to the racial tension in our country or an underreaction to the racial tension in our country, a, a, a fear of personal security financially, a, peer, a fear of personal security emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. All of those things we are dealing with, so we need God's word to form us this morning. I was, you know, I was reminded this week as I've thought about the things that have been keeping me up at night. And it was one of those things that I was talking with my best friend in Kentucky, and, and I just said, man, I just got to look back and remember what was so sweet about knowing Jesus initially. That first love that you, that you have that, that does cast out the fear. When you, when you think about God saving you from the pit of hell, and saving you not just from something, but to something, a life of wholeness and glory, this side of eternity. And, and, I, and I've got to think about those things because God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we've got to focus on those things. That's why Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Because, because what happens when we, when our, when we focus, when it's, it's the moth effect, right? We talked about this. When you focus on the light, you're drawn to the light, right? So what's it look like for us to focus more on the light of the gospel during this season than the fears that are filling our hearts and minds? Paul writes this as an encouragement to us. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, what, what's true in this life? What's well, God's word? And it's our experience of God through his word in this world. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. You could tell other people about this, encourage them. If there is any excellence, drill down deep if you can't see it. If there's any excellence, and there is, is, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How much have you been thinking about these things lately? We We can't focus our primary you know, lens that we look at life on the fears around us, or we will completely miss the heart of God in the midst of all that we're experiencing now. So we don't focus on the fear, but what do we do with it? Well, every misplaced fear that's not stemming from a fear of the Lord um, is rooted, according to John, in a fear of judgment at the end of time, and in particularly the punishment that accompanies judgment. So every ungodly fear, every fear that doesn't stem from God and his ways that comes in from the outside in your life is ultimately lit on fire from the pit of hell. Now, it doesn't seem like that in the moment, does it? When you're up at night and you're thinking about tomorrow. And that's another thing. Fear is always future-oriented, isn't it? 
It's never present oriented. And what is, well, how does Jesus tell us to live? He tells us not to think about tomorrow. Because you know what? Tomorrow is the devil's day, right? We, we think about today and we think about his provision, our daily bread, and our hearts are warmed and comforted. He hasn't given us grace for tomorrow. That's something Megan always is telling our kids. Ungodly fear that is this all-encompassing, nagging, creeping, suffocating cloud that projects a hopeless future for you. That's what it is. And it's, and it's, it's a fear in, in whatever blank is for you. A virus, a job loss, a tragic death, infertility, bankruptcy, you know, an, an unresolvable conflict in your life right now. And, and ultimately what it says is that whatever it is for you is going to define the rest of your life. That's ultimately how it plays out. And so that's how fear connects to judgment at the end of time, is that the, the lie that we believe when we have ungodly fear is that whatever discomfort or thing in our life that is not going to the playbook that we drew up, we ultimately think that it is going to define the rest of who we are and take away everything that God ever gave us. And that's simply not the case. This cancer, this sickness is going to take away more from my life and my dreams and my future than I can bear, we believe. This relationship is at such an irreconcilable place that we will never be able to experience joy in a friendship again. The shame inwardly that my sin has produced will never allow me to experience the joy of the Lord again. This, this ungodly fear tells us a story that has an end that doesn't involve Jesus. Every single time you look at it, it is an, is an end that doesn't involve Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his friendship, his intercession, his spirit, or his love. And where does that future ultimately lead our hearts to? The pit of hell. It leads us to a future and a judgment that doesn't involve us being reconciled by Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what hell is. It is a perpetual fire of burning judgment without relief or grace. That's what hell is. And, and this is why I said this earlier, the spark of every ungodly fear in our hearts is lit from the pit of hell. Because we imagine a future where we're not united to Christ, and that is something that the Spirit is never going to do for believers. And in imagining this future without Jesus, we can't walk in joy we can't walk in satisfaction in the midst of a global pandemic. We can't walk in unconditional love because we cannot get out from the grip of fear. We are consumed with the feeling that ungodly fear produces like a drug. Shame, whatever it is for you, abandonment, that's my, that is my drug of choice when it comes to living in fear. Resentment, accusation, vengeance, Misery, all of those feelings, and we could add more and more to them, they're not from the Lord. And they come from trying to unhitch ourselves from Jesus in the future. So when, when we give way to this type of fear, we imagine a future that is determined by anything other than God's love and God's character, and it leaves us in sin. So what's God's solution for believers who struggle with ungodly fear, i.e. all of us? What is it? That's our second point. It's actually counterintuitive, okay? Here's what I think it is. It's to think about God's judgment more, not less. You see, what did Adam and Eve do in Genesis 3? They ran and they hid. They didn't want to be found by God. But 
if, we're, if we really believe that God gives us confidence for the day of judgment, we should run, run to that day in our minds and in our hearts because it's the day that we, we get to see that finally and fully we are his. We are not tempted to believe that he doesn't love us or that our sin can separate us from him. Run, think more about God's judgment, not less. In other words, if you cannot stop thinking about the fearful future that you assume will overwhelm your life, let the tape play out. Skip it to the end. Skip it to the end when you see yourself standing face to face before Jesus Christ who is going to judge your life. Every person on the face of the planet, no matter whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, whether you love Jesus and you struggle with fear or whether you don't love Jesus and you believe the gospel is a joke, your knee is gonna bow to Jesus. This is what Philippians 2 says. Every knee will bow, not just the knees of believers who've worshiped Jesus. And every tongue will confess, not just those who have sang his praise, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the question is, it's coming now or later. When are you going to confess? When are you going to bow? That's the question. But as believers, we can let the tape play out. Skip it to the end, you know? I don't know if you remember those little things called VHS tapes or cassettes where you actually had to hit a button and, you know, let the tape play out. Listen to 1 John 4, 17 and 18 again. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, also so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So he, he, he links up, once again, judgment, uh, fear with judgment, right? And he says that there's no place in the life of the believer when he's living according to his design, for fear, because if we've received perfect love through the Spirit, it actually, it, it casts it out. Think of a fishing net that you let go of. You cast it out into the sea. That's what he does with the fear when we, when we grab and receive more and more of his love. So when we think about that day, judgment, it's ultimately the day that every fear leads to, right? It is the, it is the day where, you know, whatever love that we have lost, it has led us to fear, whatever convenience that we have lost that has led us to fear, well, ultimately, that tape plays out in the end with being separated from whatever it was forever, right? So he says, think about judgment. And when Christians start to live in a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is pouring his love into our hearts, as Romans 5 says, to give us confidence for the day of judgment and every day that's going to lead up to it. He says, as he is, so also we are in this world. What's that mean? I think it means that as Jesus lived perfectly and righteously and sits next to his father in full exposure with his life, full transparency before his father in heaven, that we, when we understand how good the gospel is, we live that way, not just in eternity, but right now. That type of confidence, that type of transparency that we're loved by God. And Christians should look forward to Judgment Day, not because of all the unbelievers that will be judged. That is what keeps us on mission today, isn't it? It's what keeps our hearts burdened today when we think about those who seem like they're never going to bow their knee to Jesus. And it, and it grieves our hearts to think about it. Well, that motivates us to have 
confidence before God so that we can live faithfully on his mission. And, and, and we're, we're also not afraid of what people think when we make Christ known because we know the end. A blind person doesn't know the end. That's what unbelievers are. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. They're blinded from seeing the gospel of Jesus, right? So why are we going to trust a blind person to drive their, you know, to, 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 to lead their lives when they don't know the end? They can't see the end. So are you going to be offended when you make Christ known? Absolutely. And the good thing is, is you don't do it to receive love from other people, right? Because ultimately, when, 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 when we're trying to give the world what they need, not what they, and they don't know what they need. And so that's why what happens when we have fear is that we shrink back from God's plan to make Jesus known in the world, right? And, 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 and what ultimately happens is we're off mission and we're miserable when we're off mission. We're not feeling the flow of God's love to our hearts. And, and, and we, we can't wait to be fully and finally present with Jesus forever because it's, it's, it's the day when our adversary is finally and fully going to be banished from our presence. I mean, right now, he's on a leash, right? But man, his bark is still scary, isn't it? Well, it's going to be the day when, when that is finally done away with. He and his schemes are finally done away with. That's why I can't wait to that day. But until then, church, we have to endure the bark because we know that the bite is gone. Listen to what Hebrews 9 says about judgment. He says this, but as it is, Jesus, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he's already done that. And, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, judgment comes. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, because he already did that on the cross, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. What the, the role of the church is to, by the Spirit's power, make people ready for Jesus, right? You look at when, when Jesus sent out the, the 70 or 72 disciples. Jesus' uh, Jesus's return, his coming to those towns was imminent. What's it look like for us to live that way today? Because judgment will come immediately when Jesus returns. <clears throat> is there, and the question we have to ask ourselves in the face of fear is this, is there anything we could do or could be done to us in this life that could change the decision of God's judgment about me as a believer? And the answer is this, a resounding no. There is not one thing other than not believing in him that you could imagine yourself getting into that would separate you from God's love. So when ungodly fear creeps up in our hearts, it's because it's set on fire by hell itself. Because we're imagining a future where Christ has not loved us with perfect love, and we've got to let the tape play out because the tape ultimately plays out for every person at the same scene, which is judgment. So when we walk in this ungodly fear, let me just paint two pictures for you real quick. When we walk in this ungodly fear, we are imagining judgment day like this as believers when we're walking in ungodly fear. Matthew 7, 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's what we're imagining will happen when we're walking in godly fear. We're, we're, we're imagining that God will be so disappointed and disapproving of who we are 
But he will only say this to unrepentant unbelievers. And some of those people, according to God's word, will be religious churchgoers who have never really believed in the love of God. That's what he says. But for those of you, those of us, that know God's love and seek to make his love known to the world and seek to eradicate this ungodly fear and all of its mechanisms that play out through our world today and seek to be perfected by love, here is the judgment you're going to receive. Matthew 25, 23. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Church, that's us. We have the opportunity to enter into the joy of our master because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus was faithful and we're found in the faithfulness of Jesus, we are pronounced faithful even before the judgment. What does it look like for us to live out of that narrative instead? What would that look like for you? Because when God's love not ungodly fear, is perfecting our lives, as John writes. Here's the outcome. Confidence before God and boldness before man. Let me say it again. What happens when we let this be true in our hearts, when we receive this as gospel, the truest thing that we could ever receive? Not the news headline that you're reading or or whatever someone said about you, but when this is gospel to your heart, here's what it produces. Confidence before God, Who else is there to be afraid of other than God? Confidence before God and boldness before men. Isn't that what the world needs? A people so perfected in love that they're confident before their God, they're confident before whatever happens in this world, and they are bold before men because they don't even consider their own lives or themselves uh, in, in their proclamation of the gospel, in their making known of the gospel. Isn't this what we want more than anything else? What would we do with that kind of confidence, that kind of boldness? It's what everybody in the world wants. The ability to know without a doubt that God loves you because of Jesus and that nothing is ever going to change that. If that were true in every single relationship in our lives, in every unforeseen situation that tomorrow is going to bring us, you would be able to agree with the psalmist who wrote this. Psalm 16, 5 and 6. The Lord is my, it's when he's thinking about the future. The Lord is my chosen portion and, and my cup. You hold my lot. And the lines, and this is, a, this is kind of a, uh, this is like a surveying term, right? The, of, of a piece of property. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. In other words, you're going to inherit far more than you could ever imagine. Imagine thinking, oh, you know, my, 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 uh, my, my grandparents are, are going to die and they're going to give me an acre of land uh, with a house on. It's going to be great. Imagine getting an entire state instead with everything on it. I mean, this is kind of the thing that he's drawing us to here. That our inheritance is far more vast than we could ever imagine because he holds our lot. He determines our destiny. And so we can stop living in the devil's story which Paul writes about in Romans 8. He says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. Okay, Ryan, what is the spirit of slavery? What is the spirit of slavery? Well, I know what its behaviors are like. It's fear-based. To fall back into fear. 
You haven't received that, Christian. You have not received a spirit that is designed to lead you back into ungodly fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption or wholeness and relationship. Genesis 2 kind of fellowship with God. And, and what does the spirit inside of us cry out when we see that? Abba, Father. It cries out about our relationship with God. Fear is something believers fall back into. So just like Israel, after they were released from captivity to the Egyptians, and the, 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 the future looked uncertain, they had this promise of promised land, but they're 40 years in the, in the wilderness making zigzags all around this place. You know, they thought, you know, when I think about the future, God doesn't seem to know what he's doing. So just take us back to Egypt. At least I know what I'm getting into there. How many times does our fear lead us to the same place? This perfected love that God's called us to walk into requires faith. And our sinful nature, your sinful nature, is opposed to walking in faith. It's opposed to it. It would rather have slavery as long as you knew that that was what was coming. And that's why when we allow our circumstances to tell us a different story than God's love for us, we fall back into fear. We have a beautiful inheritance, church, and it's all because of God's love. We were known fully and were loved perfectly. Listen to what Tim Keller's written uh, in, his, in his book, The Reason for God. It's helpful. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. In other words, it's, it's just kind of tr- trite. It doesn't mean anything. Oh, I love you, yeah. But you don't really know me. How does that give me any comfort? He says this, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear, right? For someone to see you and say, nah, that ain't happening. You're awful. Get out of my life. But to be fully known and to be truly loved, well, a lot like being loved by God, it is what we need more than anything. Fully known, truly loved. It liberates us from pretense in other words, assuming what is going to come in a relationship, it humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it, this is my favorite part, it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can ever throw at us. Church, we are free to receive love like this and to give love like this. We are free to have confidence before God and boldness before men because of what Jesus has done. So what is it that you need to bring into the light today? Where is fear suffocating your soul? What would it look like to remind yourself of how the tape actually plays out in your favor? What kind of boldness and confidence would that lead to? Think about those things. Let's pray. Father, we... we, uh, We need confidence for that day and this day. We need to grasp the depth of love that you have given to your people. To be able to agree with the psalmist that our lines have fallen in pleasant places and we have a beautiful inheritance. God, we, 
we don't easily believe right now that we have a beautiful inheritance. So would you comfort our hearts and pour your love into us that would eradicate the fear of man and every ungodly fear that may creep up this week. And Father, most of all, would you give us confidence before you and boldness before men because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, Lord. Keep us close to your heart and near to your work. It's in Jesus' name, amen.